Gracious Lord Jesus, as we open up your word this morning and as we draw nearer to your feet, I pray that our hearts just would be completely open to hear your truth, that anything that would stand in the way of receiving that truth, of receiving the gospel truth, of receiving the word of your kingdom, Lord, that you would remove that so that we could fully embrace and fully receive um, your grace and your love today as communicated through your preached word. And so I thank you, O oh God, for your many blessings for this church. I pray that the words that come from me be of you and, and not of anything that I could ever come up with, so that we would only see you this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I, I have to confess, uh, Jenny Her is in our uh, contemporary worship band, and normally we rehearse at 9 o'clock downstairs, and normally what she does is she brings in like four or five McDonald's coffees. And she has not been here. And so typically I come up here already having two, two and a half cups of coffee ready to go. I've only had one. So I don't know where this is going to go today. <laughs> so if you, know, if you see me going down, go get me some coffee. No. Uh, this morning we are in this wonderful sermon series, Communicating with God. Gosh, what does it mean to just come at his feet and have a conversation with him? And, and, and the best way that we could sees how Jesus teaches us to do that is through the Lord's Prayer. And so that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been cutting up the Lord's Prayer, looking at the different petitions, the different prayer requests that Jesus teaches us how to pray. And so uh, last week, uh, we looked at the first of what I would call probably of the six prayer requests that were there. They kind of group them in series of three, uh, and it was, Hallowed be, your, be thy name. And this week, we're going to jump into the next part is thy kingdom come and what all that means. So last night, as I was going through my sermon notes and, and, and looking at them and kind of reading over them, I, uh, something just came into my mind, and that's always very scary, because that's really the 11th hour, because it was 11 o'clock at night. And so it was the 11th hour that this, this thought came into my mind, but it's such a great, I think, springboard for what we're going to talk today about God's kingdom. How many of people have ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Anyone, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, right? And this church, if you've ever been, if you've been a part of this church for quite some time, you know C.S. Lewis is a really big deal. Uh, the former pastor before Jerry, Jack Watson, big C.S. Lewis fan, and so it's often quoted, often uh, a part of, of, of our thinking. And The Voyage of the Dawn Tread is one of, probably one of my favorites in, in the series of the Chronicles of Narnia. I just enjoy the book a lot. I think I enjoy the character Eustace, if you know who Eustace is. He's the insufferable character in that story. He's just this little runt of a kid, but I just, my heart breaks for him a little bit, and in the end, he gets his, you know, he, he, he gets his good story. But I'm not talking about Eustace, Eustace this morning. I want to talk about another character, a really, really small character in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, very tiny. Who's the tiny character in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Very, very mighty. What is it? Reapy Chief, yeah, Reapy Chief, little mouse, little mouse, and he's got all the bravado in the world and everything, and, and I remember a scene actually in the movie of Reapy Chief who comes to the banks of Aslan, who's the Christ figure in the story, who, well, as C.S. Lewis would say, Aslan is Jesus. It's not, not figuratively, he is Jesus. And so he's on the banks of Aslan's country, Reapy Chief is. And to get to, to Aslan's country, it's kind of like you crest this like wave and you go and you don't see that person again because he's in Aslan's country. He's in heaven. And Reapy Cheap 
the joy on Reby Chief's face when he gets to the banks and sees that, and he knows that that's where he is going to go. And he says his goodbyes to the characters and, and knows that this is his journey. It's been his kind of life's journey now. It's, 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 it's kind of influenced how he interacts with people. He still kind of gets into adventures where he shouldn't, but he definitely is one of the first characters that shows love and grace to Eustace. And that's all because of, of his heart's desire to get to where Aslan is at, to be with Aslan in his country. And so as he gets into his boat to crest the waves, Reepicheep, all along the story, has been a very skilled swordsman. And as he goes up to his boat, he runs up to his boat and he puts his sword down in the sand. And it's a really quick line. And he says to the sword, won't be needing you. And he gets into the boat and he crests over and into Aslan's country he goes. C.S. Lewis says this of Reepicheep. Of course, anyone in our world who devotes his whole life to seeking heaven, the kingdom of heaven, will be like Reepicheep. Today we look at thy kingdom come. Last week it was the request of hallowed be thy name. And if we, we learn that if hallowed be thy name is a request, our heart's desire, it realigns our posture into a point of obedience and veneration of the holy hallowed God to he who is supremely holy and sovereign above it all and over it all. What does it mean to look at God and say to him, you are holy, be you first? And what we talked about is how that kind of changes the way that we make requests to God, that our first desire would be that he would be holy thine, that he would be supreme, that he would be holy pure, and that that holiness would, would bring us in and have a place with him there. So then the second petition is, thy kingdom come. And it stands in great concert with, hallowed be thy name. And spoiler alert, next week, thy will be done, also joins in that great chorus with these three petitions together. In fact, some commentators would say, hallowed be thy name, is like the supreme one where all six kind of feed into. And you'll notice that these first three, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, these are all requests to God about God just being God. It doesn't even bring in our desires yet. And so right away, Jesus is out of the gate teaching us, focus your communication on really just receiving and knowing who God is first before you come out at him with the request of your heart. So thy kingdom come is a very specific prayer request. It's basically saying, oh Lord, let your kingdom be manifested here and now. And it continues to reposture us in that state of humility and reverence when we communicate with him under his sovereign will and authority. It's a prayer request that says, let the victorious, we sung it, crown him with many crowns, let the victorious, crowned, enthroned one rule now on this earth, both in our hearts of your people and ultimately when it's fully consummated at the end of this age and the beginning of the next. To put it more in a cheesy way, it would be this. Oh, Lord, turn this world upside down and wear your victor's crown. Now, that's cheesy. Do you like that? Let's say that together. Is it up there? Okay, let's say it together, just so that we all can enjoy the cheesiness of this statement. But you know what? You're going to leave here, and you'll be like, I remember this. Oh, Lord, 
Turn this world upside down and wear your victor's crown. What does it mean to pray that prayer? What does it mean to say, God, let your kingdom come? And that word come means you should see a sense of urgency. Hasten, hasten, come quickly. What does it mean to say thy kingdom come? And again, why is Jesus instructing us to pray in this way? Why is this one of the ones that he teaches when he says this is how you should pray? Well, the first thing that we're going to look at is that when we pray thy kingdom come, we are praying for the coming and the establishment of God's kingdom. What does that mean? What is God's kingdom? To answer that, let's dive into, we're going to dive into and swim into a little bit of Bible land today. I know that's very dangerous. I geek out there, but I hope you all will enjoy and come along in this adventure. What does it mean for God's kingdom? So let's define kingdom. Does anyone know what a kingdom is? If you had to give me one word of what a kingdom is, what is a kingdom? Someone. A world. Oh, good. It's actually a place, right? Kingdom is, quite simply, a country, a land, a realm. And if it is a kingdom, there's typically one person who sits on a throne and rules over this land and realm, right? And everything that they say and everything that they desire is going to happen. And you as a people, you receive something from that monarchy. You receive something from that king or queen. You receive usually protection. You receive the right to be in that place. You receive all those things. And usually, in order for you to stay there, you got to obey what this king and queen set out for their rules of their land. Correct? So uh, we're all in agreement that's what that is. All right, so then, thy kingdom come. We're talking about God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom then? God's kingdom is all of that, but who sits on the throne? God. And then if God sits on the throne, that means that we who are his people would obey him, listen to him. We would receive his land, his country. We would have a place with him. We would have prosperity. We would have all of those things. And then what we're going to, you know, I'm going to get there. You'll see the difference between a man, earthly kingdom, and God's kingdom of how these two sovereigns treat their people. The Old Testament, it sets up this epic of redemption in the Old Testament, this idea of God's kingdom. We reviewed last week that Adam and Eve, they had the big oopsies and they were kicked out of Eden, right? Eden is that, that initial kingdom of the Lord. And Adam and Eve, don't miss, in Genesis, they were invited to be, not invited, they were called to be the vice regents of this land. You know what I mean when I say vice regents? Like, you know, in my stead, you will, you know, oversee this land. You know, the, the scripture says you will subdue it. God tells them to do that. And they can be in this land and have all of these riches and have all of this harmony and this oneness with God so long as they obey a certain things. From all the trees the year you can eat, except for one, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, of course, we know the story, right? They do, they break it, they disobey, they're out. And then this epic of the Old Testament, right from the beginning when, when God begins to clothe Adam and Eve, right out of the gate in, in Genesis chapter 3, the Old Testament now sets us on this trajectory of how God's people can come back to the land 
to repossess, to rehab that land, that place, to be his people, to receive prosperity in terms of all of the food and everything that they never have to want for anything. All this, it sets all of that up. And again, it hinges off of them having this land. It hinges off of God's people being obedient unto him. Enter the Ten Commandments, enter all the things that happens there where God sets it out, says, here are my rules, you follow them, and you will have this land. And what, will, what is the repeated phrase? You will have this land, you will know that I am your God, and they will know that you are my people. It's this whole thing, okay? So here's the, here are the rules. Here they are. If you follow them, you get this place. You get this, this, this protection. You get this identity. However, if you disobey these things, you will then lose all of this stuff. Everything that I just said to you is going to be great. Flip that on its end, and it's going to be really bad for you. And not only that, you'll be scattered. And not only scattered, people won't even know who you are. This is the Old Testament, right? This is that, that pendulum that swings back and forth. How can we bring God's people back to the place where God is known, where they are known in his people, and they have that kingdom again? So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, knowing all of this, now 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're getting, we're getting beyond some of the stuff here in Genesis and, and everything. We're getting at the doorstep of the age of kings and queens for God's people, right? Or kings, excuse me, not queens, but the kings for God's people. All along, God's intent for his folks was that he would be their king, no one else. He raised up judges, rulers, to help them along, similar to the Adam and Eve vice regent thing, right? He raised them up. But the whole intent was for him to always be king. That has to be, that has to be there in order for them to come back to his kingdom, you know, the whole, to make this whole thing come true. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel is a prophet, and his sons, they raise up, and they're supposed to be kind of like the next judges for these people. But his sons are horrible. They do not walk in God's ways. And so God's people at the time, they look to Samuel and they say, enough. We don't want any of these folks. We would rather a king for ourselves. Give us a king for ourselves. It says here in chapter 8, now I invite you, uh, you can look here on 1 Samuel chapter 8. I think I have the page number there, Mitch. Uh, the 272, 273, if you want to open up the Bible, you can see there. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Listen to how the people interact with Samuel. All the elders of Israel, verse 4, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old. So that's great. That's, a, that's not really a nice thing to say to anybody. Behold, you're old, and your sons, more importantly, do not walk in your ways. So we don't want them. So you think maybe they have a clue. We don't want people over us that are not going to walk in God's ways. So you think, yay. Great, Israel, you got it. No. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. What the people have now asked Samuel to do, they kind of negate thy kingdom come. What they are saying to Samuel is, we would like to exchange our holiness. 
We don't want to be a separate people under the one true God. No, what we would rather have is you give us a king that makes us like all the other nations. We're seeing all these other nations and they seem to be doing fine. We want a king like that. And we want to make sure that, we, that, we, that this king will do our bidding and that this king will make us safe and that this king will judge us and do all those things. Samuel, you do this for us. Well, then Samuel here in this, in this passage goes to God and says, your people are morons. I don't think it says it that, but I mean, basically, that's kind of what he says. Like, you're, you're, they, they're missing the mark, God, you know, do something about it. And what does God say to Samuel? He says, you know what, Samuel? Do what they say. Do what they say. They, they're not listening to me anymore. And the fact, I think it's the fact that they ask, give us a king to make us like all other nations. That to God is like, they don't want me. They have displaced me. So go ahead and let them have it and let them see what happens. And so Samuel, still hoping that Israel will get it, is, is trying to explain to them. And they're like, no, give us a king. And in verse 10, he says this. Samuel told all the words to the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He teaches Israel. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. I'm not going to read through it all. But as you go through this passage, you will see the repetition of the word the king will take. He will take your sons and appoint them to his um, chariots and be his horsemen and run before all, all of that. And then it goes on, verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards. He will take a tenth of your grain. He will take your male and female servants. He will take a tenth of your flocks. And when he takes and takes and takes and enslaves all your folks, on that day, Samuel says, you're going to cry out to the Lord, but guess what? The Lord is not going to hear you that day. So what say you, Israel? You want to, let's, let's strive for God's kingdom. Yes, come on, let's take the hill. And what does Israel say? No, thanks. They refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Notice the difference between the sovereign God's kingdom and the earthly man's kingdom. In the sovereign God's kingdom, if you obey my statutes and walk in my ways, you will get this land flowing with milk and honey. You will get all of these things. You will get protection, and people will know that you are my people, and I am your God. In God's kingdom, in God's sovereign kingdom, we get, we receive, we are brought to a place, and we are developed, and we are grown into what he desires us to be. But in man's kingdom, as Samuel lays out, the man king will take. He will continue to take, rob, and steal, and exploit your very gifts, everything that you have, for his gain. He doesn't care a ding-dong thing about you. He wants his own rule, his own authority. Thy kingdom come. And so that's kind of where we're at even to this day this tug of war of whether or not we want to be citizens in God's kingdom and to long for all the things that he brings about in being a part of that kingdom or to be citizens of the kingdom of the earth that we are in, constantly working, constantly striving, constantly having things taken and given and, and these false sense of success and things of that. 
That's where we find ourselves. So how does God remedy this? Why is Jesus praying for us to say thy kingdom come? Because God's kingdom, where God is the ruler of all, is a messianic kingdom. God's kingdom is one where one will be sent from him, his son Jesus, to inaugurate, which means to begin this kingdom here on earth, and one day consummate it, which means to bring it to its fullest fruition, the end of this age and the beginning of the next. And the obedience thing is still there. Through the Messiah's obedience, so not through ours, but through the Messiah's obedience, this kingdom will be established. Hugh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there and he's praying and he looks up in the shadow of the cross, if it be your will, O Lord, take this cup from me. But if not, thy will be done. Now, I won't go too far into that because that's next week. But what I want you to see is that he obeys. And because he obeys unto the cross, God does a miraculous thing with his son and sets up this whole kingdom in which Jesus is telling us to pray for in Matthew. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, it is beautifully stated. Everything I just said is beautifully stated. Have this mind among yourselves, says Paul, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is all obedience. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form, he humbled himself onto the cross by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What is the kingdom of God when we pray, thy kingdom come? It is simply this. It is the kingdom of God is currently everywhere where Jesus, all the land, every place where Jesus' sovereignty is, has been inaugurated, whether it be here to the whole ends of the earth or in our hearts because Jesus is enthroned in our hearts. That's where the kingdom of God is. And it is also praying for that the one day it shall be consummated, just as Paul says, and it says in Revelation, where every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's where all disease and sin, everything's eradicated, and we receive that place. We're asking God to make all of this happen now. The continued effects of the kingdom and the hastening of the final kingdom before we utter any request on our lives. But let's take a moment here. That's a lot of history. It's a lot of stuff. What does it mean for you to look to the Lord and say and want his kingdom to come? Do we really want his kingdom to come? Because if we ask for his kingdom to come right now, where every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, all the things, that means everything that we're doing now in life 
stops. And some of us may be thinking, you know what? Sign me up for that. My life at the moment has not been so peachy. Come, Lord Jesus, right? But some of us may be thinking, thy kingdom come. Yes, Lord, I like that idea as long as it doesn't affect some of the things that I'm doing right now, if that's okay with you. I've got three children. I'd like to see them grow. I have a wife. I'd like to grow old with her. Uh, sure, I'd love to have success. I'd love to do all the... I want to experience this life here. It's okay if you've had those thoughts. Those are human thoughts. But they also are human thoughts of earthly things. Because life is fragile and can be taken. Success is fleeting and can be gone. And so what Jesus is saying here now, petition number two. Ask for God's kingdom. Because in God's kingdom, all the things that we are struggling with, all the things that we fight against, all the problems of this world, they're gone. And we return back to the land, to the place that we were always designed to be. It is a big, like, okay, what am I asking here for and do I really, really want it? Thy kingdom come. Turn the world upside down, O Lord. Wear your victor's crown. Now, as I have said in the beginning of this message, there is a prayer for the kingdom to come to end this age and start the next, right? The second coming. And actually, all through Scripture, I don't have time to go through it, all through Scripture talks about what that's going to look like in terms of every knee is going to bow, whether they humbly bow or whether they are forced to bow. And the ones who are forced to bow, who continue to negate and, and, and blaspheme and, and don't want anything to do with God, all of them are going to be gathered up and very, very bad things happen, right? So that's all going to happen at that end of the age. But I would also offer you up to this. When, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we can also understand that we are praying for the effects of God's kingdom to come through us right now. Because Jesus came, died, and rose again on the cross, we who have faith in him, what do scriptures tell us about that? That if we believe in him, he abides in us. That the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That means the kingdom effects of this beautiful kingdom come are present inside of you right now if you place a faith in Jesus. And if they are present inside of you right now, in this corrupt age, you have the ability to bring the Lord's kingdom into an awareness for people. Not by any, your power, by any means. This is all God working through you. But that's the call of every believer, is it not? To go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's bringing the kingdom to them. That's welling up inside of you. Jesus explains this. He shows this to, to his disciples. He explains this in Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time here and then we'll close out because I see the time and I knew it. I knew as I put this together and I was camping in Bible land, Jerry would be over there looking at his watch, all the things. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's fine. But if you look at Matthew chapter 13, I just need to, I need to show you this. I need to show you this. So Matthew chapter 13, if you open up there, there is a series of parables that Jesus teaches. These are the kingdom parables. 
These are where he starts the parables off. He says the kingdom of God is like and explains it to his disciples. Now the problem is that he's speaking in parables and the disciples look at him and they go, we don't get it. We don't understand the story that you just said. Could you just speak it in layman's terms? And Jesus looked at his disciples and says, no, I'm going to teach these in parables. You will understand it because I will make you understand. I will allow for you to understand. You are going to receive the mysteries of the kingdom of the Lord. But those who thought that they knew and have no idea, this is still going to be a source of confusion for them. And I would add, until they humbly submit to the Lord and receive his instruction. So he teaches them these parables, and within these parables, we see what it's like to be kingdom people. So that when we pray, thy kingdom come, what it means to have the kingdom come inside us and live this out in this current corrupt age. The very famous one is the first one, the parable of the sower, verse 3, chapter 13. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, he sowed some seeds, fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth, uh, but the sun rose and scorched them, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, this is crystal clear, Jesus, thank you. And then you go on and you look at the parable of the weeds, verse 24. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Okay, now we've got lots of seeds being sown. Is it the same soil? Is it different? I'm confused. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And so the servants came to the master's house, and he said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? How does it have weeds? If any of you have ever gardened and you have weeds, this parable is like, you know, totally gets you. It gets us, Carrie. It totally gets us. <laughs> Our garden is full of weeds. He said to them, an enemy has done this. And that's what I say to Carrie, too. Whenever we go out and see the weeds in spring, I say, the enemy has been here. He said, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather up the weeds, get rid of them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the reeds, you'd uproot the weed along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles, to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. Now, at this time, please picture the disciples to be like, you know, just continually more and more confused as Jesus is speaking and just kind of nodding along like, I think he's crazy. You know, this is kind of one of those things because they eventually ask him, we don't get it. Explain this parable again. And the last one I'd bring to you is the mustard seed. He put another parable for them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come make nests in its branches. And then, yeah, and it goes, the disciples say here, over here, you can look at it, you know, teach us the parable of the weeds again. I offer these three parables, there's more parables in here that talk about the kingdom of God. I offer these three up to you to show you 
what it is like to say thy kingdom come and have the kingdom well up inside of us and share that with others. The parable of the sower of the good soil is all about receiving the word of the kingdom. That's what Jesus explains. We receive the word of the kingdom, the truth of the kingdom. And the one that has good soil, the one who is a kingdom person, who is able to understand it, and that Greek word understand means to connect the dots, who can put it all together. The one who understands it, they have the good soil. They have the deep roots. And so if you're a kingdom person, you understand the truths and the mysteries of the, of the gospel, of the kingdom. And even though the disciples say, we don't get it, notice, don't miss the fact that Jesus teaches the disciples right then and there what they don't understand. And I saw that last night and my mind was blown because it is a true prequel to how the Holy Spirit works inside all of us. The Gospel of John says the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts of the truth, remind us of the truth of the Gospel. Right here, before the Holy Spirit is even on the scene, Jesus lives that out for them. We won't understand anything of the Gospel without the help of the King teaching us. And he does that for the disciples right there and then. So the parable of the sower is all about how the people who are kingdom people, they understand the word, and they understand the word because they're walking with God. They are walking with the king. The parable of the weeds then teaches us that kingdom people are consistently growing and being developed in this corrupt age. Let them both grow up. Let the wheat and the weeds continue to grow. Let them be that way. That tells me that we as kingdom people in this corrupt world, our call is to continue to grow in the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus is and that we can do that and withstand all the troubles of this corrupt world and that one day when the kingdom comes, finally, all those bad things will be gathered up and will be taken away and burned. And the mustard seed then says this, not only do you understand it, not only do you grow and are continually developed as kingdom people, but then you bear fruit. It grows into a tree that gives birds a place to find their nest and rest in and reside. So when we say thy kingdom come, we're saying bring your kingdom, your land here. The land and where I, like reaping sheep, can put down my sword, my gun, my axe, say I don't need you, my hammer, I don't need any of those things. Let that come now. And it's also saying this, let your kingdom come inside me so that I may bear that fruit for others, that I may understand the mysteries of your gospel, and that I can continue to grow and be developed into this kingdom person. All of that in one little thy kingdom come. Isn't that crazy? So when you pray that, you are praying very specifically Thy kingdom come. May all the self-righteous governments of the world bow at your feet, Jesus. Thy kingdom come. May all the sin and temptation, even that which is within me, be gathered and burned. Thy kingdom come. May we lay down axe and sword and gun and no true peace. Thy kingdom come. May what you love and cherish, dear Lord in heaven, may that be what I cherish here on earth. Thy kingdom come. May our faith and love in you be firmly planted in good soil beginning as small as a mustard seed and blooming into that giant tree of unwavering faith and devotion. 
May all these things happen now, dear Jesus, whether daily through your people who have placed their faith in you or ultimately in the coming of your kingdom on earth. Either way, turn our world upside down. Thy kingdom come. Turn it upside down. That we may not be the center of our world. And Jesus, wear your victor's crown so that all of us would humbly bow before it. Know that that, I think, is what we're praying for. And the very simple, thy kingdom come, three-letter, three-word petition, we're praying for those things to happen. Before you even utter a request that's personal to your life. God, let your name be holy. You be you and bring your place here so that we can enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your many, many blessings. I thank you for the truth in Scripture. I thank you for being able to kind of walk through it and, and unlock some of the mysteries and know that when we do that, for us to understand, it is by walking near and beside you, being led by you, and being reminded in our hearts where you dwell, the truth in the mysteries of this gospel. May it well up inside us your kingdom so that we may show others a glimpse of what your kingdom will behold. So that they, they too, can lay down their sword and say, I won't be needing you. And eagerly jump into the boat, crest the waves, and see your country. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.